So, listeners, we are back with episode 22 here on Cronoso. We did take a little break after the big mega WrestleMania 5 episode, but however, it was warranted as it was a f- epic marathon of an episode. But again, thank you to all shit 18, 19 contributors to last episode. Yes, that was Bon Jovi. You give love a bad name because the macho man is scorned and he has a new love interest. But let's not waste any more time. This is a potpourri episode of Carnoso and Jennifer Smith and Logan Crossland are going to stop by and give us the macho man joining up with Sensational Sari. In addition, we have our typical potpourri episode with a plethora of superstars from April 1989, right after WrestleMania. And then we go to various house shows, including the Toronto Maple Leaf Garden, where Scott Keith will join me in a YouTube simulcast where we review the Macho Man and Hulk Hogan's second match since WrestleMania 5. All right, everyone, that is it for now. Jennifer and Logan, take it over with the Macho Man and Sensational Sherry joining up. Cronoso listeners, my name is Jennifer Smith. I am back with my tag team partner, Logan Crosland. How are you, Logan? Yes, we have the uh, sensational Jennifer Smith tonight, and oh, the thank sc- you. Scary, scary Logan Crosland. So scary Logan. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll get into some scary, uh, other scary things. Uh, maybe some uncomfortably scary things. Uh, as oh we get yeah, some um, uh, uncomfortable stuff here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll, but we'll get into it. We'll see. <laughs> we're looking at um, we're looking at Savage announcing his new manager. So that's where we're at um, with this current uh, Superstars episode. And we have uh, Jean with Miss Elizabeth, and he is trying to talk to her. And she is looking very um, beautiful, but scared and meek. And uh, Sherry comes right out to confront her to Miss Elizabeth, uh, tells her that her mega powers exploded, which I thought was pretty great. Um, you know, phrase to throw in there mm-hmm. for, um, for Sherry. And, uh, and then Savage does his run in and, um, confronts Elizabeth in a very uncomfortable scene to watch. He screams at her, yells at her, intimidates her. She cowers away from him. Um, he is very abusive in this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and tells her that he's hurting too. Uh, but then we get the Hogan run in. Sherry holds up a chair while, uh, and Savage destroys him with it. Um, no, she holds him by his hair. That's what she does. And and Savage comes in with the chair and hits the shit out of a Hogan. Uh, and wraps up this um, informative and uncomfortable promo, Hogan. <laughs> yeah, so this happened like immediately after the WrestleMania 5 had kind of wrapped up the match. Had, I mean, I don't know when they actually shot this, but they... They play it as it was right after the main event of WrestleMania Five. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, Sherry gets in her face, tells her that the wrong Mega Power won. Um, she or she doesn't think the better man won. Uh, she thinks Savage was obviously the better man, and it just didn't work out in his favor that night. Um, but yeah, obviously Savage grabs uh, Sherry or grabs uh, Elizabeth's arm, kind of twists it. Um, says he's hurting too, uh, uh, like like a jackass. But um, and then he kind of goes to smack her, uh, but Hogan makes the save just in time. Um, and like you said, um, Sherry kind of grabs Hogan from behind. Uh, Savage hits Hogan in the chest with the chair. I thought that was kind of mm-hmm. weird. Uh, mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely a weirder thing to see. And then he grabs the belt, and it looks like he starts to smash it a little bit. Uh, he mm-hmm. smacks Hogan with it a couple of times too, but it looks like he's kind of trying to destroy it. So I don't know if that was an angle they were going for or what, but uh, it seemed it seemed like he was trying to kind of break the belt. So they've done that kind of angle before and replaced mm-hmm. the belt uh, with like the IC belt back in the day. But um, yeah, uh, definitely an interesting segment. Very un, very uncomfortable with twenty twenty four eyes, but um, right, definitely probably fit the mold back then. So, um, but very, very 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 uh, controversial television for sure. Yes, I mean it fits storyline. It fits Savage as a character. It fits Liz as a character. But it's so real um, that yeah, yeah. it's just a little bit um, hard to watch. Mm-hmm. But. We're wrestling fans and we've seen Savage do this a lot. So are we desensitized to things like this? Uh, maybe a little bit? Probably a little bit. And, yeah. and, you know, and all the stories you hear, he, I mean, he mm-hmm. probably wasn't like this uh, in real life, but, you know, he obviously kept her under pretty right. close watch and lock and key. Um, you know, didn't really want too many people interacting with her because that was his woman and he loved her and wanted to protect her and all that kind of stuff. Maybe overprotected at times, but um, yeah. <laughs> Next up on uh, Superstars from April of uh, April 15th of that year, uh, we have a big segment uh, here, a brother love segment where Sherry is going to be introduced formally as Savage's manager. And this goes about as well as you would expect it to go. Um, Savage is out first. He says that Hogan didn't beat him. Um, keeps He can't let it go, right? He's never going to let it go. Uh, the crowd chants for Hogan while Savage talks about the conspiracy um, between Hogan and Liz. And... Um, that he's through with Liz, but not with Hogan, because he still wants his shot at the title. Um, but he's he's done with Liz, and he has a new manager. And it, during this time, which I don't know if everyone who does a brother love segment 
kind of does this, but I noticed Savage did it where, you know, the brother love music is blaring uh, this whole time. He's cutting this promo and his cadence during it, it matches the music. So it sounds like a song <laughs> the way that Savage is delivering this promo. It doesn't rhyme really, but it, uh-huh. it sounds sort of with that blaring music behind it. And he, he matches his cadence and it's slower than a typical Savage um, promo. It's, it's intense, of course, like they all are, but it's not as frantic. It doesn't have that sort of coked up <laughs> um, yeah. energy to it. It's, it's subdued and, and kind of different for Savage, I noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, Sherry comes out to praise from Jesse uh, on commentary, but then boos from the crowd. Um, she calls to Elizabeth, Miss Elizabeth. Um, she's more, uh, she says, I'm more of a woman than you've ever dreamed. And then she also kind of times her promo um, to that song, uh, kind of mirrors Savage in that way. A good promo from Sherry. Um, she says, eat your heart out and does a spin to show off her bod. Uh, she's in pink and black and looks amazing. And oh, yeah. uh, they parade around to a bunch of booze from the crowd. So I thought this was awesome. Um, I obviously I'm a Sherry Mark and I love presenting her like this. I love Savage saying I'm done with Liz and I'm moving on like formally announcing it to everyone. (laughs) And, um, I, I just, I just thought Sherry was great. This, they just really healed it up for the crowd and brother love was the perfect person to have them do this with. Yeah, you, you can't tell me you didn't love hearing <laughs> in the background the whole time. It was um, amazing. <laughs> but yeah, that 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 is definitely a uh, thing that happens on all the brother love segments. So, but I I did not notice the uh, the cadence thing with the music, like you said. So that's a good pickup because uh, I definitely thought Sherry like slowed whatever yes. she was saying down at a certain point, and I thought that was kind of weird. But now that you said that, I think that's a really uh, good idea and really spot on point that you made. So that was um, a good pickup by you for sure. Um, and, and it makes a lot more sense now. Um, cause, cause it's I don't know if end. everybody who cuts a promo with Brother Love does that, but they definitely yeah. did. Um, yeah, I don't think our uh, next segment would uh, <laughs> uh, follow that rule either. Um, but anyways, yeah, I, I thought this was great. Um, like you said, Savage obviously put it over that he has a new manager, how sensational and awesome that she is. Um, Sherry did look like she would be the uh, Heart Foundation's uh, manager at this point with the pink and black, with but, the, yeah. <laughs> but her, uh, her outfit did look great as well. Um, but yeah, she, she cut a great promo. Um, and she, she says, eat your heart out in the most, with, with the most pauses in between everything that she said <laughs> in that sentence. Uh, obviously, like you said, I think it's kind of because of, uh, to kind of talk around the music that's blaring in the background. So, um, yeah, really good and effective segment. Um, got Sherry over and got this new partnership over and, uh, it'll be interesting to see where they go and how effective they are. All right. From superstars on April 22nd, we have, uh, another brother love segment that we're going to talk about, but we're not seeing Savage quite yet. We're going to talk to old Brutus Beefcake. Um, Brother Love intros Brutus. 
Brutus comes out and calls Sherry sleazy, slimy, overdressed sweat hog. And I'm like, why did you put overdressed in that? Like you, the alliteration <laughs> was right there. And then you could have just had a solid insult if you would have just stuck with the S's there. But he had to put overdressed, whatever, for whatever reason. I don't know. No, n- nobody accused uh, Brutus of being the smartest guy. Yeah, that really <laughs> bugged me, like, a lot. Uh, he says Sherry should be called Scary Sherry. And then starts a chant. Scary Sherry. This, this was the uncomfortable thing I was talking about earlier. Yes. Where, because he says it literally 50 times. And the, uh, the, times. Uh, the audience never does never it. Never picks it up. There's like one guy that they focus in on in the crowd that has a Hulk Hogan shirt on that is doing it along with him. But literally no one else. Even a kid in front of that guy is just like, what are we doing? What? Right yeah. <laughs> no, it was not getting over at all. The scary Sherry thing. Yeah, was definitely not. not. Um, Jesse had some smart comment to say about that. McMahon, he don't like girls, does he? <laughs> um, that's my Jesse. It was real good. Um, so Sherry, of course, comes out looking amazing. She's like got this like black two-piece on. Um, looks awesome. She slaps the shit out of Brutus. How dare you? How dare you? She is first and foremost a lady. And he should never forget that. I love this. Uh, Savage comes out to attack Brutus. Uh, Sherry. Man, they get him on the floor. Sherry runs against the bag. And then we get a haircut angle. Boom! Mm. There goes Brutus's hair. Great, 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 great attack. Like, this was amazing. I wasn't expecting it. I'm like, I know that's like his thing or whatever, but like I didn't think that they would get this already. Mm. I don't know. Um, so, this was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesse is like praising them. Uh, at the end of the segment, too, he's marking out as much as I am. And Sherry picks up, like, pieces of the hair and, like, throws them all around. It's so great. They just, like, dance all over Brutus's body. Um, so this was, like, my favorite segment. <laughs> uh, this was great. And, uh, yeah, the the partnership between Sherry and, and Savage is so amazing and so natural, you know, it's... Like they work so well together, and I love this pairing. Yeah, I almost wish I could go back and like get the feeling of of people back then. If if it was so, if it felt as natural as I mean, obviously we have hindsight to look back on and know where it goes, right. how awesome it is. Um, but I wonder if people were excited about this pairing when it when it happened because, like you That's said, a good I think question. It, I think they, yeah, I mean, maybe we could ask some of our buddies and maybe some people uh, throughout the rest of these episodes will uh, talk about that. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we definitely we definitely should look into that one. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, like just watching it, that the pairing is automatically just so natural and they're, they're so good together. Um, they've put the absolute boots to Brutus and after yeah. the uh, terrible, scary Sherry chant uh, uh, that he probably deserved it a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she lays the slap in real good, and then she lays the boots to him when he's on the ground. She's just kicking him and kicking him. I, I really didn't expect them to get to the haircut. I, I mean, I figured they'd probably tease it, but um, mm-hmm. I, I figured you know somebody would come out. And I, I think this is one of the first times that they kind of you know 
put out there that Beefcake and Hogan are like real good buddies. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is their first real time kind of teasing that that you know maybe, maybe Hogan and Beefcake will team up at some point and uh, you know go against uh, Savage and a partner at some point. But uh, I think, I think this is the first real time they kind of mentioned that they're like really good friends. So, but yeah, really good attack. Uh, again, puts over the new pairing uh, really well. So, um, you know, we talked about three really good segments, but I think, like you said, this is definitely the best for the beatdown. I would agree. Um, so I'm looking forward to covering more Savage and Sherry goodness uh, as we continue on with our Cronoso journey. Uh, Logan, what would you like to promote? I'm um, just checking out, uh, check out Lincoln Up Luchas. Uh, we're going through Lucha Underground. We've got uh, two more uh, regular episodes before we get to uh, the Ultima Lucha Live Watch episode that we're going to do. So uh, just check that out. All right. As for me, you can find me every Wednesday right here on the North South Connection with one of my shows. And you can follow me on all across all socials at Jenny Position. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Hey, all. It's Kelly Nelson here. And I'm going to be talking to you about the first phase of what would be a really great feud in 1989 WWF between rugged Ronnie Garvin and Greg the Hammer Valentine. This has always been a personal favorite of mine, so that's why I picked it. And here we go. So I thought I'd do a little background on uh, Garvin and Valentine and and any previous encounters they had before this first match I'm going to talk about. So it looks like when Garvin came to the WWF in November of the previous year, his first opponent was Greg Valentine at a house show. And I checked on wrestlingdata.com because I was curious to see if these two guys had any kind of a history prior to 1988 and prior to the WWF. And as far as wrestling data goes, the only time they had crossed paths before was way back in 1974 in two battle royals in Florida. So no singles matches prior to November 1988, but these guys were meant to wrestle each other. Their styles meshed so well. And yeah, is, there is some uh, televised matches between the two of them from January of 89, so before this feud uh, was kickstarted. One in Boston and one in Philly, and also one at Cops Coliseum in Hamilton. So I'm assuming those are all out there. Well, obviously the Boston and Philly ones are. Um, I think the Cops Coliseum one uh, may be too, because it was televised. But I've never seen these matches, and now I'm curious to see... Um, what they're like considering how uh, good some of their later matches are anyway for today's purpose i'm starting with uh wwf superstars from april 22nd and that was taped in glens falls new york april 4th i believe the day after wrestlemania yeah or two days after wrestlemania jeez i'm so rusty with my trivia i don't even remember the dates for manias anymore um so yeah, we get um, a match between Rugged Ronnie Garvin and Greg the Hammer Valentine. And right up front, we got uh, Jesse and Vince on commentary, really putting over the matchup huge. You know, that this is going to be a great match, uh, you know, evenly contested, all that. 
And we do get, I mean, it's a tight TV match from the time, so it's pretty short, but we get an intense back and forth exchange right away. Chops versus slaps. Uh, really great. Reminded me of like something you'd see from Mid-Atlantic uh, Crockett in the 70s and 80s. But uh, like I said, this is short and, and a cocky. Greg the Hammer Valentine is caught with a flash roll-up into a small package as he was going for the figure four and sort of, you know, taking his time and and not taking things very seriously here. So Garvin gets the win and immediately we cut to a Tony Schiavone, who had just uh, started in the WWF not long before this, as a ringside interviewer. I don't remember this at all, or I don't remember him as a ringside interviewer. I did watch this match. I, I totally remember this match and the follow-up watching it. Um, I kind of lost interest in WWF by the summer of 89, but I uh, was definitely watching still here. Anyway, so Schiavone interviews Valentine. Valentine blames the ref for um, the loss. And then, as he's, he's starting to walk away, then he comes back and impulsively says he's going to put his career on the line for a rematch with Ronnie Garvin the next week. So there we go. That's the start of it. Valentine's saying he's going to put up his career the next week. My only qualm um, or quibble with this angle, or with this feud, really, is that this first bit is, is rushed. They... they, they on TV anyway, it hadn't been acknowledged that they had any history together. They have one match, a short match. Valentine loses. Seconds later, he's putting up his career. And bang, Garvin uh, responds, puts up his career. And then the very next week, we have a retirement match between these two. My, my quibble is that they could have maybe built this up, you know, maybe for a month or so uh, to make it not seem so impulsive by Valentine that he's putting up his career. Maybe had uh, Valentine you know, have it mentioned that he'd been on a losing streak and he was getting frustrated, something like that, just a little bit more, because they take their time from here on out. This goes on all the way until the Royal Rumble in January. So uh, that my, that's my only little criticism is the beginning of this was rushed. So here we go. Next week, April 29th, also in Glen Falls from the April 4th taping, career versus career. Garvin, you know, rather stupidly put his career on the line too. Be, you know, that wasn't uh, like it didn't have to be like Valentine put his career up. But in the interview, he didn't say you have to put your career up too, Garvin. Garvin just did it. Um, you know, I guess he thought he was being some sort of uh, fair baby face, you know, but it's really dumb because he didn't need to. And it would come to bite him in the ass big time here. So we get a lot of near falls in the hammer, though. Which was, which was cool, um, on a sunset flip for one, and then on a, a flash roll-up, a couple two counts. We get the Garvin stomp, finally. Um, Valentine's being totally dominated in this match. This goes maybe slightly longer than the previous week. And then, in a twist of uh, fate or whatever irony, Valentine is the one who uses the small package for the win here with a flash small package. But, of course, being the heel... He, used, he pulls the tights to get the three count on Garvin. And just like that, Ronnie Garvin's career is over. As a wrestler, he quickly goes back to the dressing room. We get a brief uh, shot of him basically in shame heading back to the dressing room. And then Valentine, again, with Shivani after the match, has an interview. And this time he's gloating. Uh, great heel uh, stuff here from Valentine. So there we have it. And then... 
like I said, how this things are kind of moving a little fast here. The very next week, um, April, oh no, that would be May 6th. This was also from Glens Falls, <laughs> from the taping on April 4th. So we got the first match, we got the retirement match, and then we get this, which is Ronnie Garvin is now a referee. Um, and and it's funny, Jesse on commentary immediately criticizes how Garvin became a ref so fast, which is great. Because, yeah, it was one week um, in, in TV time between them. But for the fans watching this uh, live, they would have saw Ronnie uh, be retired and then probably like an hour later come out as a referee. Um, yeah, so again, this was fast, him becoming a referee. It makes it seem like like anybody can become a ref. Um but I guess it kind of fits in with like the criticisms of Jack Tunney making biased calls to for baby faces and all that. So this is a match between the Red Rooster and Iron Mike Sharp, where uh, this is Garvin's first match as a referee. And this was, you know, the backdrop here was the Red Rooster versus Bobby Heenan slash Brooklyn Brawler feud that had been going on for a while. So the commentary is all about that. Um, a side note, I forgot the Red Rooster used a, like a arm breaker finishing hold that they call the chicken wing uh kind of a unique way to apply it didn't remember that um it's a quick win for the red rooster but post-match iron mark sharp gets in garvin's face pushes him and then garvin punches him and this would begin a trend of garvin getting into it with the heels uh for the next few months as a referee uh coming down often and and overruling other referees decisions uh, when they heel cheated, uh, several confrontations with wrestlers after the match, heel wrestlers. So next up, we have a big match for TV, uh, the Red Rooster versus the Brooklyn Brawler. I guess maybe the first time they faced each other in, on a, on TV in a big match, because at WrestleMania, it was Rooster against Bobby Heenan, remember. Uh, and this, is, this was uh, the May 20th episode of Superstars. It was taped April 26th in Omaha, Nebraska. So Jesse, again, and he's been great on commentary all the way through, mocks Garvin for having to get a new job, quote unquote, uh, thanks to the hammer retiring him. And this was not a bad little match. I'm not here to talk about it. Maybe somebody else is this week. And uh, it's given more time than most superstars matches from the, the era, I think. Uh, just to note, Rooster is, is clearly not very over here as a baby face, there's, there's really no heat. Um, there's a lot of heat for Bobby Heenan and it shows how great of a heel he was and how over he was. Cause he gets a big reaction. Um, at the end of the match, Garvin, uh, kicks off the brawler's arm from holding the ropes when the rooster had him for a sunset flip attempt. And, uh, that, uh, causes the brawler to, to lose it. He's distracted. He's in Garvin's face and the rooster comes up and rolls him up for three count then of course post-match brawler attacks garvin just like iron mark sharp did but he gets put away and uh heenan also you know almost has a confrontation for garvin this is when the heat uh finally increases and heenan makes his patented uh big jump over the top rope to escape to the outside and um yeah so here we go next up june 17th in Duluth, Minnesota, it was taped actually a month earlier in May 17th. This is a match between Bret Hart and Boris Zukov. So this was during Bret's little brief babyface uh, or single babyface run here in 1989. Uh, Garvin gives a pretty slow count 
on Zukov at one point. Brett hits a big pile driver on Zukov and then follows up with an elbow from the second rope, which I guess was his finish at the time, although I think he kind of mixed it up. This was one of the problems with uh, Bret Hart's uh, aborted pushes in, in 88, 89, that he didn't really have a like a signature finisher um, like he would with the sharpshooter two years later. And so this is more of Garvin, you know, doing things to benefit the baby faces, getting it into it with the heels. And then finally we have Dino Bravo versus Brad Perry. And I was a bit lazy this week. I didn't do any uh, research on the career of Brad Perry. I should have because he picks up a win here. Uh, this is July 8th, taped uh, June 6th in Madison, Wisconsin. Superstars again. Bravo, like with like Bret Hart in the previous match with a huge pile driver here. Um, he keeps pulling Perry up at the two count of two. So this is starting to piss off Ronnie Garvin. Then he ties Brad Perry into the tree of woe and won't let him out. Won't uh, break with the five count. So Garvin DQs Dino Bravo. We get a rare uh, enhancement talent victory over a pushed star here. Uh, I can think of one back in the early 80s uh, was um, Angelo Mosca actually was DQ'd in a match for roughing it up with a with an enhancement talent. I think there was maybe some others like uh, heels getting counted out, perhaps distracted. Anyway, this was rare. Uh, Bravo, of course, pissed off. Big post-match brawl. And yeah, the biggest brawl so far. Other refs have to come in and break it up. And we're going to get to eventually Valentine versus Jimmy Snook on a Saturday night's main event where Garvin is the referee. And that's the continuation of this angle, this feud. But I'm not talking about that. And uh, I hopefully will be able to talk about a match because eventually Garvin is reinstated and it's going to come from that Valentine Snooka match. Uh, I won't say any more. I don't want to spoil things too much. Um, and then eventually there's a great match between Ronnie Garvin and Greg Valentine from Madison Square Garden from, uh, I believe, August, or no, September of uh, 89 at the Garden that everyone should watch and, and maybe I'll talk about in a few weeks. So anyways, this was fun. I hadn't watched this stuff in years. Great stuff. Love Greg Valentine, one of my all-time favorite wrestlers. Rugged Ronnie Garvin was pretty cool too. Underrated talent for sure. And yeah, take care everybody. Peace, I'm out. Welcome to Cronoso. This is Tim Slomka joining you from uh, the Maple Leaf Garden. So here on the 23rd of April, 1989, we got the intro first match. Greg the Hammer Valentine versus the Blue Blazers slash Owen Hart. Um, so we have Grill, and Grill Monsoon and Lord L joining us as the commentary. We get... Uh, Valentine coming out, walking out, but still no music. It's just so weird in 89 that they didn't start giving everyone music, just try to find anything. Uh, Boo Bazer comes out with his, I, I hate his music, very futuristic. Definitely kind of the time time of Charlie's futuristic time, uh, you know, 80s with sync. Uh, but just kind of annoying now that you're looking back at it, it just sounds very cheesy. Uh, so Boo Bazer definitely gets the crowd going. Good guy as an opener. Uh, I love his backflip to enter, which the crowd loves. Uh, Lord Al and Gorilla do a lot of jokes that about whether Gorilla did that to enter the ring, how big he got, uh, talk about how Lordell still calls him fat, kind of like definitely some cheerful fun between them all. Uh, the match starts off with, uh, you know, some just 
figuring each other out. It's an opener, so I wish it was a little fa- more fast-paced. Uh, Owen starts going, or sorry, Blazer starts going to the the, the armbar early on, which I just I don't really like for a high flyer. Lordell brings up later that he thought that uh, Blazer should have kept the tempo going throughout the match, which I, I totally agree with him on that. Uh, then they start, the commentators start talking about who's under the mask, really talking about why would you go under the mask. A lot of back and forth about whether the mask is a good thing or a bad thing, which I thought was very insightful. Uh, kind of in a slow match, kind of a classic Greg Valentine match where everything's pretty solid, but nothing's really stand out early on. Um, they also talk about how great, uh, you know, they start going into Jimmy Hart, who's doing a great job. The entire match, Jimmy Hart's on the megaphone, just screaming at the hammers, screaming at the officials, screaming at the blazer. I thought a really good job by him uh, in this match, uh, you know, just keeping the crowd going. He would turn around and yell the megaphone to the crowd to get some heat, so kept it going. Uh, but during that Jimmy Hart segment, they talk about how great Dino Bravo is and how, how 89 is going to start turning around now that Jimmy Hart has Dino Bravo. And then he pushed Frenchie Martin right out of his place. Pretty funny. Uh, we, of course, get our classic Hammer. The, the longer the match goes, the better he gets. Uh, Hammer takes over after the couple arm bars and really starts to do his, his hard offense. Really big strikes. Uh, really big elbows. Really big corner spots. Really, really solid and definitely looks very stiff the way he does it, but he's not, he's not stiff on guys. He's, he's not over the top, which I really like. Uh, when hammer t- comes over, then he goes for the big elbow drop, uh, where he does like a big wind up of the circle and then an elbow drop crowd definitely gets into it. So he's doing a good job, obviously of using that right before the finisher. Cause the crowd picks up doing that move, uh, kind of feels stupid. Like the extra wind up, like it would give him any extra momentum, but it's no dumber or sillier than the people's elbow. But so I, I like the move gives him something in his repertoire that makes him different. Uh, then we get Hammer, uh, about, about seven minutes in, Hammer gives him a big slap at the corner. The crowd really wakes up for that. Uh, and that's where the match really starts to turn. Blazer starts getting some good offense and gets his comeback in. Uh, you know, this is where Lordale, about eight minutes in, talks about why Blazer didn't step up the tempo earlier, which I agree with him. Like, Blazer's a high flyer. Why is he doing arm bars? Uh, at that, that point, there's also pinfall where Valentine's on the ring, so they don't count the pinfall. So, or Sorry, on the ramp to the ring, which is really weird. I didn't know WWF actually did that. That's such a WCW thing. So maybe it's a Toronto Maple Leafs Gardens uh, thing. I, I just never watched a show from there. So um, kind of weird. Then we can even give Valentine a, a classic trope of the 80s wrestling is when you have the high flyer, then the other guy goes to the top rope. Valentine goes to the top rope, which is, you know, again, the guys make fun of saying he's outside of his elements. Um, they really push over the shin guard as well. Is Valentine doesn't really go for the figure four, but he starts, you know, turning it around back and forth, kind of like he did with. Uh, we'll start doing with Greg the, uh, sorry, uh, Roddy Garvin, uh, and their great feud to end the year. But uh, they're really pushing that corner uh, spot as, as Valentine gets back and uh, gets back on top. Uh, a good back and forth from the eight minute to ten minute part where both guys are going at it. Uh, then we get. The, the finish of the match is Blazer gets a 10 spot into the corner where he does the 10 uh, headbutts into the of Hammer's head into the corner. We get the classic Hammer flop, uh, Valentine flop out of the ground. Uh, we get we get the drop kick, the missile drop kick from Blazer, uh, and that uh, Hammer kicks out of. So really good false finish there. Uh, and then we get another going up to the top. And of course, Gorilla says he's going to the well one too many times. Valentine catches him in a power slam. Slams him down and then pins him uh, off the power slam, which is a rare move. You don't really see that. Uh, but while he's doing that, he's holding the tights. Probably unnecessary on a house show to hold the tights like that. Um, and a guy like Blazer, they're just not going anywhere. Not that Hammer's going much anywhere, but just let him win. Uh, you know, as far as an opener, I'd rather have Blazer win. But I get why Valentine's the guy that's the up-and-comer, where you would give him the 
give him the rub there. But uh, oh, a, you know, I would say a two-and-a-half match uh, thing. I just wouldn't put this as the opener. I, I always like the fast-paced openers, really getting the crowd into it, get them set up for the night, allow the commentators, if this is on TV, to, to talk everything over. I think it went a little too long, uh, but a classic Greg Helen Valentine match where you know he's gonna go, he's gonna give you a good 12, 15 minutes. So this one was 12 minutes exactly. Um, again, I liked, I liked the match. I thought it was a lot of fun, but as far as an opener, I don't think it did its job until again, like the seven minute mark, the halfway point, we're really flipped over to uh, Valentine Blazer going back and forth versus Blazer kind of being more ground based offense. Um, so this is Tim, as I mentioned, this is Tim Samsamka. I do a new gen on a mission every other Tuesday on the North South Connection. Please listen, rate, and review. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you again next week. All right, Scott, Keith, we are here on Cronoso. What is going on, my friend? Oh, we're just uh, battening down the hatches here in Saskatchewan. We're about to get dumped on with a snowstorm. So uh, depending on when this uh, comes out and uh, you hear from me, I may or may not be six feet deep in snow, but uh, hey, we'll... That's the risk we take, I guess, living up here. I'm a Northeast guy, so I can uh, concur to that, Boston. We're not going to get any more snow. We're, we're closer to spring, hopefully, but I'm going to knock on one as I say that. Uh, that sounds terrible. Yeah, well, apparently it's goddamn Montana. It's it's coming up from Montana this time here, so we'll blame them. Americans can blame a lot on Americans, I'm sure, up there. Absolutely. But what we got here is the second match after WrestleMania five for Hogan and Savage. This is from the Maple Leaf Garden on April 23rd, 1985. So let me hit play, Scott, and then we'll kind of just get going. All right, Scott, so what are your kind of memories of Toronto Maple Leaf Gardens as a fan uh, growing up? Yeah, well, like uh, so in Canada, obviously, we didn't get the, uh, the true WWF Superstar show in the 80s. Uh, we got Maple Leaf Wrestling, and uh, what they used to do is pad out the last 10 minutes or so with Canadian content by using matches from Maple Leaf Gardens all the time. So uh, this is very... A very nostalgic period for me, especially the the ring announcer, uh, instantly recognizable, and of course the iconic ramp that uh, many other promotions have ripped off since then. Yes, I love the iconic ramp look from it. It always reminded me of the garden, the Boston Garden, because of that yeah. like they had that yellowish to it about whatever significant from it. But uh, overall, I've gone back and watched a lot of '80s wrestling, and I've always appreciated the Maple Leaf Garden, and it's pretty cool. So. How close to uh, Toronto are you? Uh, very far away. <laughs> very far away. So you've never yeah, been? I've never, I've never been. No, to, Toronto is uh, is I, I've I've we've, I've kind of explained it to other people before, but yeah, Canada is very very space far apart essentially. So uh, I'm I'm about as far from there as would be from somebody say like uh, California, just popping over to you know Kentucky or something like that, right? Like it's a it's it's a huge trip. So. Uh, aside from the fact that you don't need a passport, so it's a little bit easier, obviously. But uh, airfare and everything is is brutal, and it's about a, it would be about a thirteen hour drive if I ever wanted to go there. Oh wow! I need to get clean up on my uh, Canadian history, but anyways, that's or my Canadian geography. But that's fine. I'm just I'm just messing around. All right, so Scott, what we have here is the second match: Hogan after WrestleMania five. The WWE went to Italy for a little bit, right? So yeah. Hogan didn't go on that trip. So this is the first weekend back with Hogan as the WWE champion. On the 22nd, they were in the spectrum. So they went from Philadelphia all the way to Toronto the next day. Yeah. Um, they have, of course, they got a three-part crew going on here. The C, the C team was in Winston-Salem, actually, WCW country or NWA country at the time. And they uh, that was led by Andre and Stud. 
<laughs> so this is obviously the A town with the WrestleMania main event here. Still burns me up seeing Hogan wearing that belt. That's Macho Man's belt, <laughs> especially in 1989. Man. Yeah, and then the bar, my hometown, the Garden, Boston Garden, had a Brood and Warrior main event on this night for like the B towns, so to speak. Yeah, they they did pretty good business actually for for most of 1989, uh, as far as I recall. So that was they did some pretty good tours going in 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 89. Uh, even like like say the C shows. Uh, you know, once even especially once you got Dusty Rhodes in there, he was the yeah. king of those those sea shows, man. Like he, you know, you bring him in there and he could draw a couple of thousand people to to a high school gym or whatever. And you know, sounds dumb, but I mean, like that was pretty much found money for them. Yeah, probably low cost too to rent those buildings too. It's yeah, weird exactly. that Andre's on the sea show and right underneath them was the Rockers with the Rue Joe's brothers. So that's a pretty good card, really, from a star power. And then you get the match quality right before it too. Yeah, it's it's, it's too bad they didn't record a lot of these stuff like they did for. For the big shows like the msg ones like you know um obviously people weren't anticipating the wwe network being a thing years and years no, later but knew. you know yeah it's there's there's a lot of lost uh a lot of lost classics that could have been archived by by wwf had they known yeah so pretty much what the big four toronto boston philly and new york were the pretty much the ones that they would tape for the local crowd once a month so to speak or the local yeah. sports station once a month and it's msg or nesson in my neck of the woods yeah exactly yeah now, would you get you, now? You said you had Maple Leaf wrestling. That's similar yeah. to Championship wrestling or All Star wrestling. Uh, so, so Maple Leaf wrestling was a repackaged version of uh, Championship wrestling slash Superstars later on. Yeah. So it's uh, the the we did also have a repackaged version of Wrestling Challenge, which was I believe Spotlight is is what it was called. Oh, okay. So, yeah, there was two two specific Canadian repackages of it because uh, according to the Canadian government, things have to have a certain amount of Canadian creative content in them. In order to be heard on Canadian TV stations, uh, so essentially what they had to do was remove a portion of the show uh, and then replace it with stuff that was filmed and produced in Canada, which for the most part was going to be matches from Maple Leaf Gardens or you know the Hamilton Arena or things like that in, inside Canada, so that they could justify being on the station. Well, that that makes uh, some decent sense. Uh, that's that's pretty cool though, and you, I'm sure some of that lost. Footage may have been saved that way, you know. Yeah, there was actually a lot of this. The, yeah, like the, the Toronto stuff. Uh, a lot of it was saved specifically for that purpose, which is a lot of the reason why we have these Maple Leaf Garden shows archived now on on the the network and twenty four seven before that. Cool. So, do you recall if this was live to tape or kind of just taped and released and within the week? Uh, it was pretty close. Yeah, there's. Uh, it, it wasn't like they were doing like really old stuff or anything like that. Like they were pulling up some fairly recent stuff. Usually it'd be within about a week or so well, that they were airing it on the show. Uh, usually no, no, we didn't no, get stuff like you know, like this, right? Like it wasn't. We didn't get you know Macho Man versus Paul Cogan or whatever at the end of the show. It'd be stuff like you know like your Iron Mike Sharp matches or you know all the Canadian Tiger Chung. Yeah, yeah. As, as much Canadian things you can get, a lot of like you know Richard Charland and that kind of things in there, and in the opening matches that they throw in there as a five minute you know like bonus match, right? Cool. Yeah, we are. Look at Hogan here. Two minutes into the match, he's doing a comedy spot. You know, he's coming off his long layoff of a vacation right there. Yeah. He's got a groove right into a comedy spot right away. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sh shout out to Macho Man's awesome gear here, by the way. Like, it's, uh, it it's a real tragedy when he went to the long tights because, like, he was heel Macho Man here was like rocking some awesome looking, uh, awesome stuff. The, the robe alone that he was out there was like, it was like top shelf stuff. And uh, another reason why he should have still been champion through 1989, which is a hill I'll die on. <laughs> the sequence looks great of course he always matches so much money invested into the gimmick and uh yeah. you know well, it, that's the thing with Macho Man. Well. 
yeah, he he actually sunk a lot of money into his gimmick before he ever got to the WWF, right? Like he he would go out and do and like you know the the indie shows, you know, in in uh, in Memphis and the area like that, where he'd have these you know thousand dollar sequin robes on, and he came out and he looked like a star before he ever was a star, and it was actually a real important piece of the puzzle for him. Awesome, yeah, it's pretty cool. I'm sure it helped him get recognition and move his ways up to the card. So it was probably a very hefty investment that worked out for him very well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he invested in himself, as they say. Absolutely. So, you know, let's peek behind the curtain here. I'm about four years old here. So my memory of this stuff live is, is not too keen. But overall, of course, I've gone back and watched it. And I remember Hulk Hogan and Macho Man fluently as a youth. Yeah. I'm curious. And, and, you know, yeah. The, the WrestleMania 5 match was, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't think it really holds up that well. But I mean, uh, you know, obviously for the time, it was, uh, it did the job that was needed. Yeah, I'm sure in 1989 goggles, it's you know it's it's a very good match, and yeah. within time, it's it's fine, it's good enough. The moment carries the weight with that for us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Now, were you ever no? So you're a Macho Man guy. Now, how about Hulk? What was your feelings on Hulk in the time of 1989, and what's your kind of your feelings on Hulk in 2024? Uh, I was never a Hulk guy. Obviously, I was. Uh, yeah, I was. I was 100 on uh, Team Macho Man at the time. I was very, very, I was very resentful because, like, you know, it was. My, uh, I was a big fan of Paul Orndorff as well in '86. You know, or I felt like Orndorff was fully justified in turning on Hulk Hogan, which is a great, great thing. And then, of course, he would, you know, get beaten over and over again. So I, I got very bitter towards Hogan, and because uh, really, it's you know, after a certain point, right? If you, if everybody's turning on you, then probably you're the problem and not them. See, what I've come to learn is Hogan elicits so much of a reaction. It's, it's very skewed. It's either I absolutely love and adore him. Or I absolutely see right through him, and I absolutely hate him. So I, I, that says something that he can elicit such a strong reaction from the people, which is probably why he's so, you know, such an such a keen spot historically. Yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, over, over time, of course, you know, you watch his matches and you can see exactly, you know, all the things that he does really well and why he was such a big star, right? Like, you know, even going out there and doing essentially nothing in a match like this, he, you know, he comes off as the biggest star in the promotion. So. I've, That's I've come to have that impression, but he, just, he, he could have done so much more, honestly. Yeah, and, you know, that's his third spot where he's kind of playing to the crowd, not really taking any bumps, you know, filling yeah. time or whatever. And it's it's been electric for him anyways, for the crowd. They, they're reacting, they're popping, whatever. So he is a worker. Love him or hate him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, you know, Macho Man was just at an absolute other level here right now, which is, this is the kind of situation where we needed two world titles, right? Because these were, these were two guys who were both clearly world champion level guys. And, uh, and it, it would be a thing where, you know, you could, could have continued if they could have, they could have had them both on the road as world champion in some route and continue to yeah. crazy money. Macho man could have been the, the world champion of wrestling challenge and Hulk could have been the world champion of superstars. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Yeah. It's brand split in 1989. But I mean, yeah, yeah. Like Macho Man, he's out there. He man had a staff infection in his elbow at WrestleMania. He's still here, you know, out on the road working these matches with Hulk. I mean, you know, what a trooper. And Sherry. Like, hasn't Sherry. been with him with any week. This is probably her second weekend with the Macho Man. I don't uh, know. I'm not sure if she's going to be Italy tour, but, you know, she's already, they already fit like a shoe, really. Oh, yeah. I, I, you know, it's really funny. I didn't, I didn't really buy into Sherry at the time. Part of it. But looking back now, I mean, she was just a perfect match for him. Uh, as a manager after the Elizabeth thing, probably because I was, you know, uh, I was I was uh, upset about Elizabeth leaving, and I was, you know, obviously she the Elizabeth was a huge part of the the act for so long. But yeah, Sherry is just like just an amazing piece of it, and she just uh, she just makes it work all the better. And that's probably why the man had nuclear heat 
for the for the early part of '89. Yeah, because I'm sure in the real time people. Macho had been a baby face for about mm, WrestleMania three right afterwards up to WrestleMania. Yeah. So about two years, 18 months, give or take. So he has a, you know, a strong investment within him. So adding Sherry to him kind of to make sure he goes 100% heel is actually really smart in retrospect. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that was the thing. It was such a play because Sherry was such an unlikable, unlikable person. And, uh, and as well, I so see she knew exactly the, the spots to do and, uh, the, the place to be in there and you know of course uh, the the legends about her you know if you if you mess with uh, the people that she manages then she'll mess with you back because uh uh they'll come out over time as well so yeah. yeah and this is really the start of her kind of ascendance up the card as a manager but because before that she's kind of a, been a spotty wrestler you know on the half-ass women's division they've had so far a match yeah. with rock and robin here some uh moolah stuff in like 87 or whatever but she goes macho and then she goes right to DiBiase and then she goes right to Sean. So, you know, this is a pretty, a start of a pretty good run for her. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the DiBiase run was kind of a weird one. Like that was, I don't know they, you'd think they would have fit together, but really they, they never did probably because DiBiase didn't need somebody like Sherry to, to be his manager, but that was kind of like a, a lost one in, in wrestling or kind of like what could have been before, you know, if she had been with him longer before they, they switched things around to money incorporated and she went with Sean and everything like that. Yeah, I thought she fit like an absolute glove at the latter end there with Sean. I thought she was perfect for his ascend to start as a as a singles heel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, you know that was something where she was uh, she was helping him out too because she knew the spots to do to get him over as a heel uh, to help him out. It's it's it. She really gave him uh, more of that star aura, I think, as well. It was kind of and if you want more Sherry, yeah, and if you want more Sherry, and you're listening to this on video and not audio. Jenny and Logan kind of took a, th the three-part series where the Macho Man and, and Sherry came together on Superstars leading into this house show match here and would lead Vaughn to their bump. So pretty cool historical you know, highlight that they did there. Yeah. Uh, so, Scott, can I, can I have you take a guess on where the sea show went the next night after Winston-Salem? <laughs> after Winston-Salem. Uh, Spartanburg, South Carolina. No, Cape Girard. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> Yeah, and then the, the B town went to um and the B town went to excuse me, the B town went to Cape Girard from the Boston Garden and they went and the C town went to Knoxville off of Winston Salem. Oh, that Knoxville. makes a little that makes a little more sense. My bad yeah. there. That's okay. Uh, yeah, I gotta think that Knoxville would be a great show for a C town though. You have all the you know the, the angry old ladies in the front row and stuff like that, man. They'd be they'd be buying into it, especially oh, yeah. You know, yeah, and right before the great american bash 1997 they went to moline illinois the, the next night for the for the third leg of the run there the sea town yeah. and, but they had that but they ran the main event was the rockers and the rujos that night so ah, that's cool. quite yeah. the, kind of the, quite the trip for a sea town there they must have been having, making some serious money yeah yeah so hulk, hulk doing the hulk up here right now which always always bugged me uh, poor macho man like he's he's out there he just he's taking all the bumps and everything like that you know and hulk just gets to just stand up and boot him over the top rope and well, would you like to be one? Make, let's hear the case. You, you you alluded to it earlier. Why should have Macho Man been the world champion in 1989? I was drawing money like crazy, man. Like they were, he was running the A shows with Warrior, like that. You know, the, the that was the first time that Warrior was drawing serious money like that. The man had had nuclear heat. Uh, like they could have, and, and really, like business went. You, you know, was not like super red hot after Hogan won the title either. Like he was, it was mostly just rematches of Macho Man. People that had the appetite for the matches were still there. And people like WrestleMania 5 didn't end it, and people wanted to see more of the matches. And like 
you know, if you if you'd built like a SummerSlam where uh, maybe Hogan could have won the match there finally, like he could have turned that into a, I, an even bigger pay per view than it was even. I think. Yeah, look at that. Look how perfect that belt fits around his waist. My God. It does look absolutely perfect. When I think of Hogan, I think pre-87 with the belt, you know, with the globe belt or whatever, the one that yeah, – exactly. I don't. the wing eagle just fits better with the macho, man. Of course, Hogan has it twice, but I don't know. It just fits better with the macho. Yeah, well, you know, macho will have his day again, of course, with, with the belt later on. But uh, look at that. What the, Hogan's beating up a woman and, and stealing the belt back. Like, come on. What kind yeah, of was, that? <laughs> that doesn't really age that well. <laughs> <laughs> Hell of a book by Sherry, though. That was fantastic. Wow, yeah, exactly. Sherry's a, Sherry can go out there and give or take as good as any of the workers in the match. Oh, absolutely. She was great. So they, you know, they protected the macho first weekend back. All three were countouts. So pretty cool. I know it's common in this era, but still good. At least he won by countout. Yeah, exactly. Hey, well, they, maybe they should have done that at WrestleMania, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> so people, people would have hated it, but I don't care. Come on. I want, I want more macho man as world champion. I love it. You want the smoke. I, I appreciate that. The smoke. That's I don't, right. We, I don't think we necessarily need to watch Hogan pose down there. All right, Scott, where can we catch you? The blog of doom is still running strong. Where can they find that? Blogadoom.com. Absolutely. Still still going strong after all these years. Uh, I'm also available uh, on most of these social medias uh, on, on Twitter or X, whatever you're going to call it, at uh, RSBWFAQ. My main hangout there, all of my stuff gets gets posted there. Uh, and uh yeah i i i think I'm, I'm taking a break from i used to be ready for uh inside the ropes magazine in the uk uh I'm taking a break from that for a while i think so uh see if i can go elsewhere with it i don't know but uh yeah blog of doom posted every day classic reviews discussion about lex luger and uh, rebooking the invasion and all that fun stuff yeah i've been digging the 1984 championship wrestling rewinds that you've been doing that's kind of the what i've been my eye's been kind of drawn to lately. So check those out as everything. And of course, everything is searchable there. You've kind of put your surface across the whole landscape of wrestling. If you want to search anything in Scott Keith, I'm sure you can easily find it on the blog of doom. Yep. Sure can. It's, they've done a great job with that. All right. And I'm sure we'll see you sooner or later on this YouTube channel as we kind of break down perhaps uh, Rowdy Piper and Ricky, the dragon steamboat at WrestleMania, but this is out first, Scott. So uh, I'll see you around pal. Okay. Thanks a lot. Hi everyone, this is Matt Farrell with the May 1st, 1989 Cops Coliseum Main Event 16-Man Over-the-Top Battle Royal. Our announcers are Gorilla Monsoon and Lord Alfred Hayes. Our 16 competitors are The Twin Towers, The Big Boss Man and Akeem, The African Dream, Jim Powers, The Blue Blazer, Honky Tonk Man, Tito Santana, Hillbilly Jim, Mr. Perfect, Greg the Hammer Valentine, Brett the Hitman Hart, Red Rooster, Rick Martell, the Brooklyn Brawler, Demolition Smash, Demolition Axe, Richard Charland, who is a local competitor, and I thought his name was Richard Sherman the entire match, and so if you picture him... As the former Seahawks and Niners cornerback, the retelling of this battle royal will be much more fun for you. The bell rings. Immediately, Hakeem is tossed out. In some jobber-on-jobber jobber action, oh, to be fair, jobber-to-the-stars-on-jobber-to-the-stars action, the Brooklyn Brawler and Jim Powers face off, realizing they can't be eliminated immediately if they fight each other. 
the Rooster and Smash in a strange bedfellow partnership are double teaming the boss man. Eventually, Smash grabs Valentine in the corner and calls over for Tito to hit him. In a funny moment, Tito just smiles at him and walks away. Uh, a little house show shenanigans. Brett's trying to get the Honky Tonk Man out in the corner, and he, the Honky Tonk Man is literally 95% out of the ring, just laid across the top rope while holding on with just his hand on the top of the turnbuckle post. So Honky Tonk Man really increasing that finger strength as he's strumming the guitar. Demolition Ant and Hillbilly Jim are triple teaming Richard Sherman and can't get him out. It's going to take more than that to take a, a all-pro f- football player. Bossman clotheslines Axe out with a nice shot of his bald spot. And then <laughs> Greg the Hammer has Brett in the corner and in a fun little moment puts his hand over his nose and smacks his hand off like he's a fifth-grade bully. Smash chucks Honky Tonk Man out. And someone off-screen is eliminated. Gorilla and Lord Al don't know who it is. Um, due to the magic of pause, I am able to deduce that it is Jim Powers who's been eliminated, although I don't know by who as it happened off camera. At this point, point Tito realizes, wait a minute, Rick Martel's in here and I hate him, and chases after Martel for three seconds and then gives up. Boy, at Tito, so much rage for Martel. Sherman is eliminated off camera. <laughs> Legion of Boom, my ass. The Blue Blazer is eliminated by the Brooklyn Brawler and is immediately taken out by the Strange Bedfellows double team of Smash and Mr. Perfect. Gorilla can't tell actually who was eliminated. He's unsure if it's the Blue Blazer or Hillbilly Jim as a man in a cape and a mask looks just like a giant bearded redneck in overalls to Gorilla. Rooster sends Valentine over the top, but he lands on the apron, walks around the ring post, and taunts the crowd, only to get elbowed in the head by the Rooster. This actually sets up Rooster to come from a big shot, but is backdropped out by Valentine because he's playing chess and the Rooster is playing checkers. Hillbilly Jim comes in and just punches Valentine in the face to eliminate him off the apron because Hillbilly Jim, as I've always said, is playing 4D chess compared to everybody else. Bossman thinks he touches Smash out and Smash grabs the top rope to the belt sash that Bossman wears and pulls him out. And then Bossman gives him the Hogan 92 treatment and just pulls out Smash from the floor in a heel moment there, Mr. Hogan. It is bad to pull someone out after you have already been eliminated. That is unfair. Perfect then tosses out Hillbilly Jim to get our final four. Consisting of Tito Santana, Rick Martel, Mr. Perfect, and Bret Hart. The announcer talked about how they're such a young, up-and-coming group. So I looked up their ages. And they're, you know what? They're actually right. We don't have a Carlos Colon situation here. Tito is 34, Martel 33, Perfect 31, Bret 31. This is also where I discovered 
that Brett's middle name is Sergeant. You know, uh, he's a rank, apparently, from birth. There's no way Bill Goldberg has any of that, does he, Brett? His middle name is probably Private. They pair off into what I'm calling the Perfect Force versus the Strike Foundation. I tried other combinations. This is the best one. Don't waste your time. You get some fast pace action, the fastest pace of the match. Um, Hitman and Perfect get Irish Whip together and crack heads. And Tito Atomic drops Martell and goes to toss him out. But Perfect comes up from behind and dumps Tito out. So Martell and Perfect for a while dissect Bret Hart in the ring. Tito won't leave. The announcer's repeatedly harped that he should leave, and he's going to get a hefty fine for this action. Tito low bridges Martell out as this here is uh, seems like a heelish tactic, as we've already talked about. Tito needs to, you know, if he wanted to eliminate him, he should have attacked him earlier instead of not caring until the final four. Brett backs perfect into the corner, clotheslines him right out of the ring, and Brett jumps into Tito's arms like it's a scene from The Notebook, and they are in love, and they're pouring rain, and they're about to kiss. And I hope you enjoy that image, and enjoy the rest of this episode of Cronoso. I am, once again, Matt Farrell. You can see me on Twitter at at Farrell Comedy to get access to my Heat and Velocity 2003 recaps if you never want to kiss a girl. Alrighty, see you next time. What's going on, Cronoso? This is Mike Rossi, and I'm here with a match from the May 6th, 1989 Superstars of Wrestling. And that match will feature Jake the Snake Roberts and Virgil. Now, I want to just kind of have a side note here. Recording this on February 29th, 2024, which is the day that Virgil um, passed away. No longer with us. Um, Now, good friend of anybody that's ever been to a wrestling convention um, in any capacity. Virgil, who was better known as Mike Jones, was somebody, you know, over the last, I don't know, 10 to 15 years, really made a name for himself (laughs) on the uh, convention scene um, and really just, you know, kept himself around the business and kind of built up a whole new brand of entertainment um, through GCW and things of that nature. Um, doing some fun stuff on Joey Janela's spring break for a few years. Um, really just kind of, I, I don't kind of want to say repaired his image because he was kind of known as that guy that would like bum around. Um, but that's kind of what he remained at these conventions. But over time, he was able to, you know, become endearing. You know what I mean? Um, and, and he was somebody that at any convention, you know, you kind of wanted to shoot the shit with them for a couple minutes. So, rest in peace, Virgil. So, this is a match that I'm happy to cover today. Um, now, they open up with Vince McMahon at ringside with Jesse Ventura saying, oh, this is the one we've been waiting for. And I'm thinking, Virgil and Jake the Snake Roberts, that's what they've been waiting for? I don't know. But apparently this match was supposed to be Ted DiBiase versus Jake the Snake Roberts in the main event of this Superstars of Wrestling. 
But DiBiase was not in the ring when they cut to Virgil in the ring. And he gets announced as the competitor. DiBiase nowhere to be found. Now, Virgil, of course, was DiBiase's longtime bodyguard at this point. So they keep saying, hey, where's DiBiase? And then they cut to Jake the Snake coming out. Jesse the Body says, wait a minute, McMahon. I thought you said DiBiase was wrestling. Vince said, well, I did. And then Jake, he looks annoyed. He's got a snake Damien with him in the bag. So then Vince says, oh, wait a minute. I've got Tony Schiavone backstage who might have an update on the Million Dollar Man. Now, DiBiase is just sitting clenched over um, at like uh, on the chair, like a desk or whatever, with a hot pad, hot pad on his uh, neck. And it also appeared to be coughing quite a bit. Now, he cuts his promo saying, as you all can see, I am very sick. I'm unable to compete. My doctor has advised me not to wrestle, but I sent my bodyguard Virgil out there to get the job done. Like, I know that he will. I can watch it on this monitor back here, and we will be just fine. So, Shivani just recaps that, cuts it back to McMahon. Now, as soon as they get back to the ring, Jake jumps Virgil from behind. Then he hits a big body slam and a knee lift to the job before whipping Virgil into the corner, which then he chases after Virgil into the corner, but... Runs right into a big boot. Virgil gets control, starts hammering Jake. Um, Vince actually calls it the same. Just hammering him over the back. Look pretty Working pretty stiff with Jake, I'd say. Um, then he starts to jo- uh, choke Jake with his shirt that Jake had ripped off, which his Virgil used to wear, like the suit coat. Not, he didn't have the coat, but he would have the jacket with the sleeves cut off. Anyways... He's able to eventually lose control back to Jake. Now, Jake hits his patented short-arm clothesline, and then he, you know, panders to the crowd for a little bit. Then he does the, you know, swing in hand, swing in arm to motion for the DDT, drills him, just completely pops him with it. Vince very accurately says nobody gets a DDT, and then three count, that's it. They wide pan the camera out. And it's just Jake looking back and pointing at the at Damien. It's just a really cool visual. I thought they always nailed that back in the 80s and early 90s of kind of shooting that snake as the ominous creature that it was um, and how intimidating that was as part of Jake's character in that shot. So I always thought that that was cool. Check that out. Um, so Jake then pulls all the money that Virgil had shoved in his pants. There's hundreds of dollars of bills. And then he just starts handing them out to kids ringside. Just $100 bills. Now, there's a couple of things that threw me here. So, Virgil just wrestled a match with hundreds of dollars of bills in his ring gear, right, right in his crotch. And Jake the Snake rips it out, just starts handing it to children and women ringside. Uh, just something something you wouldn't see in 2024, let's put it that way. Um, and then he gets back into the ring, and he shoves a couple hundred dollar bills that he still had in his own gear. And then he proceeds to go get Damien. Now, he grabs Damien, throws the bag on Virgil. Virgil's, you know, playing out of, like, completely unconscious at this point, still selling the DDT. Starts to open the bag, but then DiBiase, magically healed, jumps in the ring, just hammers Jake from the backside, and puts him right into the million-dollar dream. Now, from there, he just chokes Jake out, completely just keeps it cinched in for 60 to 90 seconds or so. And then eventually Jake was just, you know, pulsating and deemed unconscious in the ring himself. So then DiBiase does the right thing. He scoops his bodyguard out of the ring. And that's how the segment ends. So Jake the Snake gains victory here over Virgil with the DDT. 
Uh, probably about a minute 40 or so, I would say. Pretty quick match, but rest in peace, Virgil, and enjoy the rest of this episode of Cardoso. Later. Yeah, yeah, cold, cool, and at a bar, and I'm looking for some action. Feel like Mick Jagger said, I can't get no satisfaction. It's a little uh, funky cold Medina right there. 1989, uh, that's where we are, May 1989, in the Meadowlands. May 8th, uh, exactly, 1989. Uh, they veered away, uh, th- this was televised for the MSG Network, as uh, the... MSG uh, from uh, April was their last uh, show of '89, uh, and they uh, and they shut down for uh, construction, and the, uh, they came back in the fall. So uh, the MSG Network picked up a, a show from the Meadowlands, which was uh, I, I guess it was no coincidence that they were uh, showcasing uh, the Meadowlands because that's where the uh, SummerSlam uh, would be, as uh, Howard Finkel uh, made the big announcement. Before the before the match, I'm about to bring you to uh, it's the, the the tag team champions at the time, Demolition, versus the Twin Towers. And uh, oh, by the way, it's uh, me. I'm back, Johnny D. Uh, you guys, you guys know the deal. It's been a minute. I I, I think I took the last uh, Cronoso off. Uh, technical difficulties in my brain, but uh, here we are back at it, and uh, ha- happy to. Uh, get into a little something different there. Uh, the usual uh, MSG shots. Uh, the the Meadowlands uh, had a, had a decent look. Uh, so some parts you can see it wasn't uh, as luxurious as uh, MSG, but but some parts is better. And uh, and here we got Lord Al and uh, uh, Tony Schiavone, who was uh, who was great, and I loved him in his uh, his his little uh, uh, barely a year a year a year year and a half with the. WWF at this time. Uh, I, w- I wish it would have stayed longer and in, uh, into the nineties because uh, yeah, the announcement took a downturn uh, after uh, Gorilla could no longer hack it and uh, it, it was rough. But uh, him and Lord, I, him and Lord Al, I liked them. It was, it was a good combination as as they're uh, uh, on on this uh, Metal Lance card and uh, and and also some uh, great uh, Sean Mooney uh, promos with uh, both teams. Uh, and the in the makeshift uh, middle Meadowlands uh, locker room uh, is is kind of uh, put put together. You see, they they in the background. You just, just see they threw a WWF uh, duffel bag, uh, old school duffel bag on on top of a uh, one of one of like the the lockers there, and uh, and you see like a like a white wife beater friggin' hanging up uh, on a hook and. Uh, Really, really basic. Uh, a lot, a lot different from the uh, the typical uh, MSG locker uh, room promos that we see. But uh, the the powers of pain are awesome. Uh, you know, slick boss man and uh, Akeem. Uh, they they should have stayed together a little longer. They they were they were tremendous uh, with their shtick and uh, demolition. Of course, always professional. Uh, just a great promos before. And then uh, we go to the Fink, and uh, and he announces uh, SummerSlam for uh, for Monday, August twenty eighth, nineteen eighty nine. Uh, I was I was hoping the uh, the Jersey Jamokes would, would be a little more pleased with it. Uh, you know, nary a pop uh, for for the big, big announcement for uh, SummerSlam. Although they did uh, they made up for it uh, that night. That was one of the best crowds ever, and uh, and and one of the greatest best uh, SummerSlams ever. The, the, the second one at the uh, middle end, so they made up for it. But 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 here uh, it wasn't much of a rea- reaction on this uh, May night. 
So anyway, uh, we get to the uh, entrances, and uh, 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 first uh, the heels come out, and a sweaty boss man already. I don't know what he was doing in in the back, and and it's only uh, early May, so it couldn't have been it couldn't have been too hot outside. And uh, you know, I think the Meadowlands uh, had uh, proper uh, air uh, air condition. It wasn't like uh, the the friggin' uh, Boston uh, Gardens. So, uh, but whatever boss man was doing, he was uh, he he had already worked up a. I sweat on his uh his open correction uh uniform there and uh boss man B- bazongo was uh really uh hanging out of the belly there this was before he went on uh his uh his, his little diet and exercise program and, and slimmed down he 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 was bulbous at the time and so was akeem just uh but uh, as we're gonna see it uh, there's a uh, there's different kinds of uh of fat, and then these two were uh, definitely physically, uh, physically fat. They, they could both. Uh, it, it never, it never slowed down either one of them. Uh, they, they both move well for their size, and uh, just a great entrance with, uh, with slick and uh, the dry soul brawl was cranking. And I, and I will say the uh, the sound system way better than uh, MSG. Uh, the music uh, coming in nice and loud and clear. Uh, MSG for for what it's worth, uh, you know the epic arena that that gets praised, but the uh, sound a little salty uh, with with the uh, with the entrance music. So, so definitely, uh, I give the Meadowlands and the nod here. And then the demolition comes out there. They're the tag team champions. Uh, they're they're the they're the hot team. They get a, they get the proper face pop for, for from the crowd. And uh, the the demos walk into the ring with their uh, their bondage gear on, and uh, Akeem is not intimidated at all at all as he he's doing his uh, shucking and jiving, and uh, just, just uh, <laughs> the hands never stop moving with Akeem. Uh, the hand gestures are just totally ridiculous, but uh, it's it's either you love it or you or you think it's silly, but uh, it's right up my alley. Uh, the sillier, the better for me. Uh, it's. Uh, uh, anybody who knows me, uh, no surprise there. So uh, and uh, and Akeem's, uh, you know, just continues dancing and driving like only he can. And and Lord Al gets over how the dem- demolition is uh, way better without uh, Mr. Fuji and and how how their careers have uh, have prospered uh, since they got a Lord Al sinking in uh, that they're the heavy baby faces and uh, how they used to be under the evil Mr. Fuji and now the. They're thriving as tag team champions. So uh, the bell rings and a smash and boss man started off. And uh, uh, just uh, a thing, you know, you know, 80s, we're, we're in 89 here. And, uh, you know, a big difference, uh, you know, for, for nostalgia. There's a lot of, uh, you know, basic uh, moves and punching, but they, these are two of the best at it. Just uh, the, the the punches, at, at least, uh, if you can do a lot of them, at least make them look good and... And these are two of the best in the business. Every move uh, looks good from uh, from Smash and, and the Boss Man. Uh, every, everything looks hard hitting. It, it, it looks legit, and you know, every, everything looks like it's gonna hurt. So they go at it, and then eventually, uh, uh, Smash gets the better. The Boss Man's so dazed that it, that he's reaching for a tag, but it's Axe, and and Axe uh, Axe kind of ridicules him. Axe, Axe slaps him, and then. Uh, you know, in the corner gives them a little business too, and the, the demos really dominate with the boss off with the double team and offense, and and they got the boss uh, reeling, but eventually the boss man uh, tags to a, to Akeem, and Akeem just just comes in, and uh, the hands and and the 
the, the jiving and the gyrations, they, they never stop at all. And then Lord Al's totally not impressed. He's like, Akeem is wasting time with all those showboating moves. And, uh, and, and Lord says, uh, and then he gets over how big he is. He says, Akeem is hard to budge at 470 pounds, uh, fulfilling in for a gorilla's obsession with the weight. So uh, Lord gets, uh, gets over how, uh, how, how, how much uh, tonnage the uh, boss man and Akeem are carrying. So uh, and the demolition, uh, they take over on Akeem and they kind of beat him in, into delirium. And uh, uh, even as Akeem's getting his ass kicked, he continues uh, with, with the with the gestures and uh, and the dancing. And, and even Tony says, uh, uh, "Akeem is all jived out," <laughs> as his hand motions were uh, were, were wavering uh, as he continues getting beat down by a demolition. But uh, eventually, uh, Akeem and the boss uh, get their uh, chemistry together, and they were actually uh, tagging in and out with with uh, more frequency than uh, than the demos were. And uh, for a while, they dominated Axe a bit, and and this is where it kind of slows down. Uh, uh, Slick hold, uh, Slick holds Axe on the second rope, and and both Akeem and Boss take turns. They're do, doing a big uh, leg uh, drop. Uh, as Slick is holding him on the second rope, uh, while the other one distracts the ref, uh, just just good moves there. That 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 look, uh, they they look more more devastating than they are, you know, due due to the size of uh, both men. And then and then eventually uh, they get Axe in the corner and they do a double av- avalanche, uh, which looks great too. And 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 then it leads to a uh, and then. Uh, Axe is laid out, and Akeem does one of the greatest moves of all time. He turns his, as Axe is lying down on the ground, he turns his back to, to Axe, and, and he squats down, and he kind of like, and he fans his ass, like, like, like kind of like he just ripped one. It's just, it's, it's just amazing. Uh, and, and Lord Al even was at a loss of words. He says, oh, uh, uh, Akeem is doing some sort of gesture there. Uh, Lord Al couldn't even explain it. it, it it's just amazing. Yeah, you, you have to go out of your way to to see this one. And, uh, and and then eventually they try a second avalanche. And this is when the tide turns in the matches. Axe gets out of the way with the the second avalanche. And and then uh, uh, Axe is you know is still you know flopping around on the ground. And Akeem misses an elbow drop. And then finally Axe crawls over and gets the a hot tag. This is a hot, hot eighties uh tag. The, the the crowd is with it for friggin' uh go going ballistic as Smash comes in, clotheslines boss man out out of the ring and and the crowd really peaks at this this time. And then uh they they both uh, do some double team moves. They double clothesline uh, Akeem and then uh unfortunately uh, this is where the match goes south. The ref gets in the way and does a terrible bump. And uh, I, I guess they, they got to set up the finish there. The boss man eventually recovers, comes in with the nightstick, and uh, and, and, uh, and smashes uh, Smash with it. And, and Akeem covers. And uh, and then the ref comes to and uh, and uh, taps Akeem. And, and then, you know, the stupid uh, 80s trope, trope where... Uh, uh, Akeem and uh, Bossman and, and Slick, they're all celebrating. They grab the belts. They, they think they won it just because, you know, the ref tapped them, even though no count ever took place. And, of course, uh, Fink uh, announces that, he, uh, that the towers have been uh, disqualified. And uh, the crowd pops for that. And, uh, 
and, and then the heels got to act like all mad that, that they didn't uh, win, and they then they put the belt belts down, and then they go to town again, and uh, they they not they knock Smash out of the ring, and uh, then then they're going to work on Axe, and they try to cuff him, but eventually, uh, you know, to do the handcuff gimmick where, where they cuff him to the ropes, so so both men go to the town with a nightstick, but eventually uh, Smash saves him with the chair. And uh, the crowd is totally into it. This is the last match on the uh, the card. And a uh, hot finale. Uh, the music plays. Uh, demos get their hands as uh, raised as DQs. Uh, you know me, not the star guy. Two and a half, three, whatever the fuck. Uh, but totally entertaining. Uh, these guys are all pros. Uh, the uh, The commentary was great. The, the crowd was uh, good. Uh, the, the only uh, negative star is for, for the ref. Uh, just an awful bump. Uh, that that, that kind of ruined uh, that that part of the finish there, but this is it. Uh, Meadowlands '89. Uh, for me, it doesn't get better better than uh, '80s uh, wrestling, uh, and this is uh, uh, two great teams, uh, and all four uh, entertaining and, and slick too. Just, everybody, uh, you know, everybody's entertaining this. Slick and uh, Lord Al Shivani, just uh, you gotta love it. All right. Good to be back. Uh, it's Johnny D signing off. Catch you in a bit. Yes, Carnoso, that is the abbreviated Potpourri version, but that's quite all right. We will be back next time with another Potpourri episode. Is perhaps we dip our toes into a little Saturday night's main event also. So that is it for this time, guys. And uh, D'Amato kind of left us with no choice but to close with this. See you on the next one, guys. Dig it. Oh, cool and at a ball, and I'm looking for some action. But like Mick Jagger said, I can't get no satisfaction. The girls are all around, but none of them want to get with me. My threads are fresh, and I'm looking deaf. Yo, what's up, what a LOC? The girls are all jocking at the other end of the ball. Have a drink with some no-name chump when they know that I'm the star. So I got up and strolled over to the other side of the cantina. I asked the guy, why are you so fly? He said, funky cold Medina. Secret on how to get more chicks. Put a lid on Medina in your glass, and the girls will come real quick. It's better than any alcohol or aphrodisiac. A couple of sips of this love potion, and she'll be on your lap. So I gave some to my dog when he began to beg. And then he licked his bowl, and he looked at me, and did a wild thing on my leg. He used to scratch and bite me before he was much, much meaner. But now all the poodles run to my house for the funky cold Medina. You know what I'm saying? I got every dog in my neighborhood breaking down my door. I got Spuds from Kenzie, Alex from Strohs. They won't leave my dog alone with that Medina, pal. I went out to this girl. She said, hi, my name is Sheena. I thought she'd be good to go with a little funky cold Medina. 
He said, I'd like a drink. I said, um, okay, I'll go get it. And then a couple of sips, she gon' lick the lips, and I knew that she was with it. So I took her to my crib, and everything went well as planned. But when she got undressed, it was a big old mess. Sheena was a man. So I threw her mouth, I don't fool around with no Oscar Maya Wiener. You must be sure that your girl is pure for the funky gold Medina. You know, ain't no plans with a man. This is the 80s, and I'm down with the ladies, you know. As a contestant on the love connection The audience voted And you know, they picked a winner I took my date to the Hilton for Medina And some dinner She had a few drinks I'm thinking soon what I'll be getting Instead she started talking about plans for a wedding I said, wait, slow down love Not so fast as I'll be seeing ya That's why I found you don't play around With the funky cold Medina You know what I'm saying? That Medina's a monster, y'all. Funky gold Medina. 